0: Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. This is Episode 17, the Top 10 Goofiest Gimmicks response. I am your host, heel authority figure Jeremy Vilmer, and now the star of our show, Bobby Blaze.
1: Thanks, Mr. Heel Authority, Jeremy. I appreciate the introduction. Uh, and like Jeremy said, it is a Top 10 Goofiest Gimmicks response of all time in professional wrestling. And with that said, Jeremy, it's good to talk to you again, my friend. And I'm sure you know, because you monitor the po- page on Facebook, the Bell to Bell Uh, blaze podcast all these top 10 folks it could be so many other people and different things and different ideas we have a process we go through to get down to the 10 so just sit back and enjoy this week's top 10 goofiest gimmicks or spots in professional wrestling the way jeremy and i will will bring it across to you so i hope you enjoy i think you will man
0: well, and also if you disagree, feel free to give us a shout uh, at our Twitter handles. Bobby, you want to give those out real quick?
1: Yes, you can find Jeremy there at the uh, Geekish Cast. Now these are on Twitter. The Geekish Cast. That's Jeremy. You can find me at Bobby Blaze seven forty four. You can also get us at our uh, joint account at Bell to Bell Blaze. All those are on Twitter. We also have a YouTube page. You can look up and listen to little parts of the uh, segment, but we encourage you to listen to the entire podcast, if you will, before you do that, because our man, Tex, man, we got to send a little message out to him. He's down here in uh, South Carolina, and he's hustling over North Carolina, and uh, tell him where we're coming from this week, Jeremy and why.
0: Well, this week, we're coming to, the, to you from the home offices in Bell-to-Bell Towers. Uh, Tex is our, well, wait, is Tex our travel agent, or is that... Um,
1: uh, That's Adam. That's Adam. Adam. Adam had the week off. Yeah, Adam had, had the, the week, week off. off. He had the week
0: off. Yeah, I, for, I forgot it was him. Uh, he yes. must not be sending me his expense reports anymore. I
1: um guess.
0: Yeah, but Adam uh, apparently has the week off, so we didn't want to travel. And we, if we were, we were going to head to the mid-Atlantic states. But with this uh, storm coming in, it wasn't really that good of an idea. So this week, we're just going to save some money and stay at home.
1: And a shout-out to techs from the Graphics Department. Also, I'd like to say, uh, we're talking about, if you don't know, this little thing down there called Hurricane Florence coming through. It's supposed to be a fucking monster, and it's not Florence Henderson of the fucking Brady Bunch, folks. It's a legitimate hurricane and storm coming to the Carolina coast down there. Uh, my son, I spoke to him Sunday evening. He's a soldier in the United States military, and um, he's stationed down there in the Carolinas right now, and he was telling me, he said, Dad, I might not be able to talk to you for the next two or three weeks. i uh, going to be real busy with this whole hurricane evacuation type thing, so uh, let's see what happens. Let's Keep our fingers crossed everyone comes out all right. And, you know, we understand that um, things are happening all over the country. Things are happening all over the world. And we're just glad you take the time out of your day to listen to our podcast. So this week we're going to have some fun with it. Uh, with that said, I want to say one more thing that might you can take it either way, I'm going to take it fun, to be honest with you, uh, he lived a good full life, I just want to say R.I.P. out there to uh, Mr. Burt Reynolds, I think he was 82 years old, man, and um, what a tremendous fucking actor if, if, if you watch films in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and and um, some, you know, he started, of course, in, in the late 60s, but man, what a tremendous actor he was, what a stud he was, and uh, what an athlete, uh, actor, stuntman, he done it all, and he, he was one of the best coxman ever out there i guess in california mm-hmm. Of course, he lived in florida and played at uh florida state for a year or two i guess before he got hurt but hey he was a fucking great coxman hats off to you Bert. rest in peace and um uh, we could go through any number of lists of movies from any decade uh for the last 30 or probably 35 years and and everyone's going to be a little bit different last one we won't do the top 10 Bert riddle movies but hey Rest in peace, my friend. Yep. And uh, go ahead,
0: Jeremy. Well, I was just going to say, you know, for me, Smokey and the Bandit, the first yeah. one is always going to be a, a favorite. And uh, my hat's off to any man who put the hammer down on both Lonnie Anderson and uh, Sally Fields.
1: There you go, man. Yeah. I can dig that. That's yeah. right. And that's probably a bunch in between before oh. after. And who knows when?
0: Yeah, so, I'm, I'm just yeah. saying that you know yeah, those no. two alone. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, you got one of each. You got a blonde hair and blue eyed, and mm-hmm. you got the dark hair and a dark eyed. You know, yep. so you got you can go from either end of the spectrum, man, yeah. and uh, hit anything in between that you want. Yep. So uh, yeah, all so, right
0: there. Well, I was going to say, unlike uh, Gino Hernandez. Bert was both a quantity and a quality guy.
1: There you go. Yeah, right. Oh, man, I yeah. like that. I like that. Okay, with that said, so we gave some, uh, We don't have any special shout-outs, do we, other than, you know, hey, stay safe down here in the Carolinas, RIPs, and um, I think we're ready for our top ten, if I'm not mistaken. Is that yeah, right? Yeah,
0: I am pretty sure. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, again, everybody in the Carolinas, I will be in heel mode the rest of this episode, so I'm going to say this now. Everybody out there, be safe, be careful, uh, get the fuck out if you can, and uh, we hope to see you on the other side.
1: Absolutely. Okay, with that said, welcome again. It's episode 17. It's the uh, top 10 of the most goofiest gimmicks or spots. And uh, you want to start us off there, sir, or you want me to?
0: Well, yeah, Bobby. Um, <clears throat> what I'd like to talk to you about is I think it would be a great idea for people with other jobs to be pro wrestlers. So number 10 is occupational wrestlers.
1: Okay. Uh why, why
0: don't we have uh, plumbing wrestlers? <laughs>
1: because plumbers probably make more into apprenticeship when they first start off than a pro wrestler does and has a straight shoot.
0: They do these <laughs> days I'll tell you what. Yeah
1: with all due respect I always say you know it's it's uh it's all a fucking work business is business and things like that so with that said when you said hey here, here's our idea when you said occupational, ther- uh, occupational therapist there's you a good job uh, yeah. occupational wrestlers. I, the first thing that came to my mind was the men at work and W um, that was uh, uh, Mark Starr and Chris. So that kind of came to mind, and it kind of took me to OK. Uh, the Beverly Brothers, before they arrived in the uh, WWF at the time, they had been the destruction crew up there. I think it was Wayne Bloom and and and, and Mike, um, shit, I knew Mike better than I did, uh, shit, draw the blank. Anyway. Um, they they were destruction the crew at AWA and like you said they had they've had a dentist they've had plumbers they've had you know just about everyday kind of jobs they had uh, Shane Douglas did what the teacher yep the uh, dean the dean yeah exactly so well the, the thing how I want goofy is that that you could I don't know let's just go with this yeah. let's let's not pick on plumbers we're not trying mm-hmm. to do that we're not trying to pick on teachers etc but if you were an everyday man. Of course, we done our special on Dusty roads, kind of about that. Dusty American Dream, you know, the everyday son of a plumber, you know, kind of thing. If you just think you're going to step up into the wrestling ring and be a professional wrestler, these are ideas I guess we're talking about that that they've tried to do in the wrestling business where they converted the everyday man into a professional wrestler. I, am I following you correctly? Oh, and a little bit. you take your digs at Yeah, it, A I little a, a, a bit. Yeah. I'm sure. Go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to say, first off, if you want to see what happens to a non wrestler, when they get in the ring with a, a wrestler, talk to Bob Roop. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, that guy looked like Ned Beatty in uh, Deliverance. When <laughs> you know, I
1: was waiting for a fucking deliverance <laughs> and he starts off in five minutes of the podcast. I know oh. you probably-
0: To me, it was always funny like Jeff Jarrett. Oh, he's going to conquer Nashville by being the greatest wrestler ever. How the <laughs> fuck does that plan work? That's like the, the evil guy in the RKO serials who's like, I'm going to conquer the world with my shrink ray. How how do you plan that to work? How do you get from A to Z in that world? Okay, so here, here's the thing we come back to very often. Professional wrestling, right? Yes, yes. So as a professional, where would this person make his living? In wrestling, right? Right. As a professional wrestler. Right. Why would they need to be a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, an Indian chief, uh, a plumber, <laughs> a national wannabe? You, wait a
1: minute. This guy whipped the dog shit out of me why would you want to be a fucking wrestler if you are an IRS agent? Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to do it this way. So I, I know you're in heel mode. and That's mm-hmm. fine. I, I fully accept that. I'm not trying to take the babyface role. Cause we talked a little bit off air about that. And we're both fucking fans of the heels. <laughs> but Here's the thing. Um, I have to take one. I'm, I'm going to try this episode to take the boys perspective. And that's this. If, if, for an example, I've said this for the last five years, and which is 15 years past my prime. So let's just say that if, if Vincent Kennedy McMahon come to me and said, here's a gimmick. We've got a great idea for you, Bobby, and we're going to do this. I would fucking prick my finger with a knife, whatever, and sign that fucking contract in blood. What's the character? I'm not asking at first. I'm I'm already signing a fucking contract. Send me the goddamn check. (laughs) So I'm trying to take the boys' perspective. Nothing like that. I'm just saying, I was signed a fucking deal in blood probably without you looking at it. What do I buying?
0: Put me back on TV. Imagine.
1: I'm I'm trying to say, I'm going to take the boys' perspective of, here's an opportunity of me to make it to, let's just say, AWA, uh, WCW, NWA, and and WWF slash E. With those things said... Go ahead, and then I'll
0: finish up. Oh, sure. Well, I was just gonna say. I want you to imagine for a moment, Oli Anderson, the <laughs> wrestling mechanic. Uh, Nick Bockwinkle, the the haberdasher <laughs> uh, wrestler. Uh, these fucking guys. The whole gimmicks behind these guys. They were, they were the baddest motherfuckers on the planet. They could out wrestle anybody and stomp a goddamn mud hole in their ass. And their job was to be a wrestler. They don't need yeah. another career path. Right. I mean, maybe maybe as a backup,
1: you know. But right. that's that. Yeah, so that's... Uh, I, I agree. I, it's just one of those things where kind of goes back to and I, that goofy song comes in my head, that minute work thing. It's just kind of like you're going to go out there and there are like two guys standing on the side of the road turning the slow and stop signs around, uh, pulling asphalt, you know, <laughs> and then later at night, uh, you know what, I got to go do, uh, fuck, uh, go do TV, um, be on TV or whatever. I'm a dentist and I'm making all this great money because we're going to talk about this person later on in the show, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But uh, a dentist, from my understanding, makes very, very good money and has a very good career. And um, some of the dentists I know have very, very good-looking wives for some reason. They always have these beautiful teeth and a beautiful smile. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, why would you want to go and take a chance of getting those fucking teeth knocked out, you know? Uh, if you're a chiropractor, why go fucking get your joints knocked uh, up, you know, in a ring of wrestling, uh, you, you wouldn't do it, you know. So career, right. uh, occupational career hazards to teachers, doctors, dentists, uh, construction workers, etc., may not be in the best interest of, of the guys that want to get into the ring. I don't know that you would want to sacrifice the benefit packages, the money you're making, and, and um, your lifestyle to say, I think I'll be a professional wrestler if you were a dentist or a doctor, etc.,
0: Yep. You notice that Dr. Sean Stasiak quit wrestling when he became a chiropractor.
1: There you go. (laughs) Smart move. Smart move.
0: Well, the next one then is, Bobby, I I noticed that Paul Orndorff's looking a little less than wonderful these days.
1: Yeah. Isn't it sad, man? He's just not like, you know, you think, Paul, what's happened? What's happened? So the best thing we can do for Paul, because he's just not looking so wonderful. Here's what we're going to do, Jeremy, Mm -hmm, for number mm -hmm. nine. We're going to bring in, and I I thought this guy's name was different. We're going to bring in the psychic, Gary Spivey. And I know you have something to say about his hair in just a minute, so I'm going to back off of that. But Gary Spivey comes in, and he's talking to Paul Orndorff to help him get his wonderful back. I don't think at that time, and this is WCW time, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, you know, he was always Paul Orndorff, one tough son of a gun, in and out of the ring. We all know that. Played football, University of Tampa, uh, you know, WrestleManias, et cetera. But when he come back here to WCW, he just wasn't that wonderful. And they hired a fucking psychic to get his kind of like a Tony Robbins type thing for motivational. But this was a psychic, Gary Spivey. And um, I guess he got the name Wonderful Paul Orndorff. I don't know if there was a mystery to that, but but he did get his wonderfulness back by looking in that mirror and talking to Gary Spivey the psychic. Go ahead, and then we'll talk about uh, where, where this is going to lead to about trademarking names. So oh, I think sure. he just became he was already Paul Orndorff straight shoot, but I think he was just Wonderful Paul or something like that, you know, uh, not Mister Wonderful.
0: If you're Paul Orndorff. You don't really need to feel all that down on yourself. Just no. go go slap the shit out of Vader again. You'll feel a little bit better in the morning. Yeah. uh yeah. But rest in peace, Leon White. Yeah. Um, I don't need to poke a poke a sore subject there. I coming out of heel mode for a second. I've lost a child. I know other people have lost children. Uh, I know people who have turned to psychics for this shit and this fucking gary spivey is one of those predatory dipshits that goes around doing that kind of cold reading horse shit to people to me there is something kind of funny about look one of the things we love about wrestling is kind of its carny origins and and some of its shystery shit right
1: right and i don't know we're doing some goofy stuff so yeah yeah, that's what we're talking about yeah we're having fun with this episode folks if you just tune in that's what we're doing we're having fun with it so continue
0: I don't mind having the wool pulled over my eyes when I go into it expecting to have the wool pulled over my eyes. But these right, psychics, right. these psychics are something else. These guys and faith healers should be in prison. I swear to oh, God. Yeah. Except, oh. except this guy's hair. I don't think he would make <laughs> it for a day in prison with that hair. I am a bald man. I haven't had hair on my head since I was 24 years old. I don't know that I would wear that hairdo. Um, I am normally envious of everybody's hair.
1: So, that
0: being said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I kind of like what you said about him not making it a day in prison, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, fortunately for me, I have a full head of hair, knock on wood. <laughs> it's getting a little bit grayer than what it used to be as I wrote about my second book, Aging Gracefully. But sometimes you get me laughing and a coughing and a, a, it turned up, man, I, I'm just when you started talking about Gary Spivey's hair, uh, but anyway, that was just one of those things that happened, but I don't know, and, and fans, you're feel free to write us at the Belt to Bell Blaze podcast on Twitter, and let us know, Paul Orndorff, like you said, he didn't need any more, you know, to be Mr. Wonderful, he was already wonderful, he, he's talented, he was, you know, had that great physique, and he could you know, wrestle and work, and and all those different a like legitimate tough guy. But it takes us to something we wanted to talk about briefly, and I think it's trademarking names. I don't know that he was Mr. Wonderful down there. Yeah. Uh, because he had been that in WWE or F. They trademarked names in New York. And I had known about that way back when I was training. I remember Dean Malenko early on in my training talking about, I know it's going to sound silly way back in the day, but he was talking about what a, and now I guess he's a producer and agent for the uh, WWE. And uh, I have nothing but respect for Dean, but he was talking about back in the day when I was, you know, you know, just breaking into the business, et cetera, about how genius it was of Vince to, you know, get those names copyrighted, and he owns the rights to them. Uh, obviously, he can't own Paul Orndorff, or like you mentioned, um, uh, a Nick Bockwink or uh Ole Anderson or whatever, but the guys that he would, we talked about this before in other episodes, I'm sure, but the guys he'd bring, like a Mr., Uh, uh, a Kurt Henning, he could copyright a Mr. Perfect, you know, and so that kind of goes to, uh, I'm going to shut up in just, just like two seconds, but basically saying, that kind of goes to something we was talking about earlier uh, in other podcasts, and that is, we're we're not here to shit on WWE, but Vince's uh, vision of, of creating, the wrestling empire that he has today, he was early on, he was already getting people gimmick names that he could copyright and make money off of for years and years and years. And he took some of the regional stars, and again looking from one of the as, from the boys' perspective, yeah, where you want me to sign at, you know.
0: Yeah, sure, well you gotta make I'll a living.
1: It. I'll, yeah. be, I'll be whatever you want me to be, you know. I guess where I'm going with it is I want I want you to kinda of take over from your perspective. I had kind of an insight many years ago that that's what he did, but I didn't know why. And and over the course of the last, you know, twenty five years now, um I've had the I've seen the benefits of why he was doing that even back in the day. With that said, I know we're. This is going to come out on Friday, yes. the fourteenth. Uh, on um, just yesterday we're recording this on nine twelve. 1988, 9-11, I made my professional wrestling debut. I did not make a big deal of it because there was something that happened on 9-11 that's much more important to my wrestling career or this podcast. But I did put out just a little tweet that uh, I had made my professional wrestling debut on t- September eleventh, nineteen 1988. And about 1989, about midway through that, I went to Malenko's. Sometime around 90 or so, Dean took over. And maybe around 91, Dean and I became become good friends. At 1991, he was telling me then about how Vince had this great idea of. He thought it was a great idea even back then. That he, he didn't work there at the time. He was going to Japan quite a bit, and but he saw he had enough foresight to see what Vince was doing with these names. So let's just say 25 years, 28 years ago, I was enlightened to that, but didn't catch on until many years later.
0: Well, it's look. Here's the thing. It's a good business move for Vince. And we'll we'll revisit this here in a minute. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. no, 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 It's okay. It's okay, because this is going to come up a couple times, I think. But I know for a fact it'll come up during number three again.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, so we we talked before, well, during our famous WWE hates pro wrestling rant, (laughs) and I talked about how wrestlers would go from territory to territory. And the thing was, they carried their name. That's what got people into the building with, holy fuck, Magnum is going to be here. Holy shit, can you believe the Midnight Express is coming to Texas? You know, we've read about these guys in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you know, and here they are now. So, it's good for Vince, especially since he rat-fucked everybody else out of the business and only had his business to worry about for 20, 25 years there, you know? It's good for him, bad for the wrestlers. I mean, who takes... Kurt Henning's kid, and calls him Michael McGillicuddy. Cody Rhodes has to wrestle under the name Cody most places he goes because Vince McMahon holds the trademark to Cody Rhodes. And to be an extra despotic person about it, he referred to Dustin Rhodes as Dustin Runnels while Cody Rhodes was in the company with him as Cody Rhodes. And that's just that's just sticking your fucking finger in somebody's eye as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah,
1: yeah I agree. Yeah, but I'm yeah. not a multi... Uh, a no, 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 but, no, you know, but here's but, the thing.
0: It, it's worked for him. I'll stop kind of poking at him for a minute. Why would you change anything you're doing when it has worked for 30 years? Yeah. It has worked. He is the dominant force. He has no reason to listen to, you know, fuck me, anybody else for that no, reason. I, yeah,
1: no, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. The thing about it is, I would think, if I were car-hitting son, you know, I'm not. If I had been, I would think that when Vince approached me, or the agents did, that's something you want to capitalize off of, not change my name completely. Anyone that that's went there, I think the only issue they ever had was uh, uh, when Harley Race was a king of King in the Ring, or what have you, and he couldn't use that name of Memphis, and yeah. other than that, I think, you know, most things, I know I was there tonight, I, I actually had a match, and someone put up some matches with me and Piper. They put up me and Kerry Von Eric, I'd done like six or eight shows with WWF back in the day. Um, him and, um, Art Barr had a hell of a match. They worked each other. Of course, they've been over down in uh, Mexico, like huge. And they were actually there and they were discussing. And I didn't see the discussion. Of course, what went on behind a closed door, et cetera. I was just there to do my job. And I was down in Florida and I was like, Oh fuck, there's Conan. I'd heard, you know, he, he was on Soap operas down in Mexico, etc. Yeah. A big star at one time, one of the biggest stars in the world, like Hogan, you know, kind of thing. And there's pictures back when he had hair and, and, you know, great body and could work and all that. But anyway, he was going to be that Max Moon. And I guess he just couldn't do it. Whether well, the money wasn't right. He wouldn't sign a contract, whatever it is. And I'm not a Conan fan. I'm not going to bury a guy. I'm just, I'm not, you know, whatever. But, of course, Paul Diamond had an opportunity to be Max Moon. He obviously had outfits in mind. He had a gimmick in mind. He had long-term planning for a character named Max Moon. You know, good on him for doing that. But uh, And I'm glad Paul Diamond got a good opportunity to do that. Uh, Gimmick, sometimes, I guess, it's like I would think. I've seen him take characters, and you're thinking, why would he even change their name? You know, uh, and again, I'm not a Conan fan. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to offend him. I'm just saying, this one of the biggest fucking stars in the world. At the time, back in that time, it's like 91, early 92, maybe. Why would you want to put a gimmick on a guy? He's already one of the biggest stars in the world. So I didn't get it, but I do now.
0: There's the argument to be made either way. There are things about it. As a business standpoint, I understand most of what Vince does. You don't talk about your competition. They don't exist. You know, you're, you're about you and doing your thing. You protect your business. You protect your trademarks. You protect your interests. Yeah. I understand it. Let's let's go ahead and we'll step back from this for a minute. And we'll, we'll save some of this for when we get to a later one where I really want to dig into it.
1: So let's move on to number eight because Gary Spivey, the psychic, probably already predicted all this shit anyway. Yeah. And um, he's over he- with the hair.
0: He so was way ahead go. of us on this one. He, he knew we were going to be doing this. He knew it,
1: cocksucker.
0: Because yeah. he's, anyway. he's not a goddamn fraud or anything. <laughs> um, but that being said.
1: <laughs> Number eight coming in on the top ten goopiest fucking gimmicks and spots in professional wrestling. Brought to you by Jeremy and Bobby on the Jeremy at the Geek Cast and Bobby Blaze at Bobby Blaze 744 or at uh, Bobby Blaze, uh, Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze podcast. So with number eight, let's do this. Let's go into blindfold matches. OK, and maybe this is a gimmick, uh, just kind of gimmick matches in general, you know, chair matches, uh, scaffold matches, whatever you whatever you come up with. Coal miner gloves matcher were at one time very uh, prevalent in this area of the country for the simple fact, you know, I'm in coal mining country over here in Kentucky and West Virginia, etc. Let me just say this, and then you can take over because I have been in a couple blindfold matches, and I used to do them. They were they were like hilariously funny. For the boys, I don't know how they were for the fans, although I could I could tell they were getting into them. But Bobby Fulton used to run these shows when I was first getting a really good start. I was working down in Smoky Mountain Wrestling as a baby face and working for Bobby Fulton. And he always had these different things. He always had a gimmick match. And, and one of the things he would do sometimes, he'd have a battle royal with uh, blindfolds. And if you could work, you could actually work these things. From my understanding... He still trying to do them, and, and some people don't understand, because the business changed. They don't understand, like, you're not supposed to be able to fucking see, you dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> don't go grab someone right away. But anyway, back in the day, I did do some, I've done some gimmick matches. I've done brass knuckles matches, uh, you know, hospitalization matches, whoever bleeds first, etc. But I'm going to let you take over, so i tell you one story. Bobby had me. Doug Vines, the Devil's Duo in ICW, it was Jeff Swords and Doug Vines who were ICW Tag Team Champions for years. But I, I love Doug to death. He was great to be on the road with. I loved him. And there was a guy named Classy Roy Bass. I mentioned him on a manager one time. He just kind of a regional thing, small time. And he had a couple of other young guys. He had a young Rob Macy who went on to be the mummy. And, and, and. So anyway, he had a good little crew Then he would bring in guys. And he... He he brought in like Ronnie Garvin, JYD, Jake J, J, the Snake, Robber, cetera. But anyway, on these shows that he had these blindfold Battle Royals, he had uh, Ronnie Garvin several times. And as the first time, I referred back to the Kevin Sullivan story in a Battle Royal. He's going to you know chop me to death, and I've told that on another podcast. Same thing happened with Ronnie Garvin. I'd been sitting there talking to him, introduced myself, whatever. I knew him and Malenko had trained and worked out together through the years. Nothing but respect for him. Had been an NWA champion. We get to the ring, and it was so funny because first time, he walks up to me and pushes me to a corner, and he says, yeah, you know, something like along the lines of what Kevin says. Uh, I heard Boris Malenko trained you. And he just takes me to the mat and starts like, I'm going to do this and do that. And I'm like, I'm not going to do anything. I can't. He's looking at his fucking watch through the blindfold, probably, as he's tying me in or not. You know, so it was really cool. He didn't beat me up, didn't kill me, whatever. But what happened was, each and every time that we'd done those matches, everyone knew what was going to happen. And that was this. Doug Vines, great guy, and Ronnie Garvin, great guy. Them two would end up and Ronnie would just sit there and put his nuts in his face and stretch him a million, <laughs> uh, you know, a thousand of ways in one to die. Well, he would do a thousand of ways to stretch you with the fucking blindfold on because once you touch someone, that's it. You know what I'm saying? You, you'd grab him if you could out-wrestle them, and, and Ronnie would always just do those. He'd grab, like, one person, and then he would just, you know, eliminate them, but then he would go to Doug. And then, of course, Bobby would always go over because he wasn't involved in it. They would eliminate themselves. But those blindfold battle rules was so much fucking fun with the fans yelling, you know, he's this away, that away. Kick, kick right now. And you'd kick and you'd kick the fucking turnbuckle. They'd say, kick him in the nuts. They're like right in front of you. And you don't know who they're talking to. You know, you are thinking they're talking to you, of course. Yeah. So five guys maybe at a time kick up and one of them would hit someone in the nuts, you know. Then every once in a while the referee would get attacked. It's just so much fucking fun. So that's the boys' perspective, but give me yours. Number eight, we're just going to call this blindfold matches.
0: Oh, sure. Well, for me, the blindfold match isn't as bad as the whatever on a pole match, (laughs) but it's pretty damn high on the list. Now, gimmick matches, you give me an Indian strap match or a dog collar match, I love those because, you know, you ain't getting away from me, you you ring ducking son of a bitch. But the blindfold match is the wrestling writ large version of a rest hold. You get two guys that put the ear to the mat to hear where the other guys come. It just, <laughs> come on. You know, th- that is that is a giant time fucking sink of a match. You know, two, two guys blindly groping around. And look, I, I'm a guy who is pretty skeptical of everything. So as soon as you tell me two guys are in the ring blindfold, I'm like, they got a peak hole. I know already. <laughs> you know? Like at 11 years old, I'm just like, come on. I, I'm not. I'm not going for it. Uh, uh, it just, just to me, I mean, I'm sure there's a way to do them well. I've never seen a good one. Now I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure there's some out there. I've just I've never seen a good one. I don't know anybody who's seen a good one here where
1: I grew up. Um, I can scat- tell you, I saw a good one, <laughs> but I had a blindfold on.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you, you don't even know for sure. <laughs> And I, I got to tell you real quick, since we have like other gimmick matches in here, yeah. the scaffold, I remember at 13 or 14 and they were getting ready, the Road Warriors or somebody was getting ready to do a scaffold match and they'd been promoting it in the AWA, I think. And I'm thinking, you know, they're showing what the scaffold's going to be like. You're like, holy shit, somebody's going to die. But then you realize that nobody's even going to fall off the damn thing unless they have this thing so worked out. <laughs> You know, and then you, you later on you see, was it PN News went up there with somebody and he wouldn't let go of the fucking edge. And it's just like, okay, so you took something that looked really cool and just shit all over it. So you, you were better off not doing it. You know, just you were better off not doing
1: it. Yeah. I, you so, know, I could put them over, I guess. They'd done them there in Mid-South. And then, of course, they took it with the Midnight Rock Roll Express. And then after that, to me, I, I, I'm not a hype person. So I was like, holy shit. You know, they scared the shit out of me. But then they took a sharp turn to where they was just like, eh. Like you said, someone holding on to the side. If they had put me in something like that, I would have held on to the side probably. Not, nah, I probably would have went out and jumped off like a fucking idiot uh, back in the day. <laughs> I'm just saying, now I'm <laughs> looking back, I'd probably be like holding a fucking ladder going up like, oh, well, don't do this, you know, whatever. But um, I, I give a little bit of respect to them because of – I don't know if it was originally, but I'm just saying from what I've seen with the, I'm going back to when it was rock and roll and Midnight's and those, and cornet and, and of course my heart is close to all that, so, yeah. as a fan and one of the boys, so I, I have to give out a little bit of props, but there's other ways to settle fucking disputes, Yeah, <laughs> um, come on, man. You know, whatever. And the Coal Miner's glove match, I mentioned that. Dude, that was so over here in Kentucky and West Virginia and Tennessee. Virginia, some of these fucking towns. When I made my debut, uh, Hayside, Virginia is way down there. I, I drove down Route 23 to fucking Country Music Highway. Whatever. I'm just saying, man. Those fucking coal miners, man. You put that glove, and it has a big old piece of lead in the, across the knuckles. You put the glove on; it's got that lead across the knuckles. It's like being hit with brass knuckles. So coal miners knew what that shit was before yeah. this was exposed. They knew you getting there, and you fucking uh, my grandfather, Daddy bought Daddy bought short for Bottle okay, had been a coal miner up, that you know, you get there, you fucking hitting that shit with your fist and protecting your hands, et cetera, you're knocking coal off fucking walls. We're talking in the 50s and 60s, you know, these people deal wrestling, you put a fucking coal miner club on top of a pole, people fucking bought it because they knew that piece of lead was in there. And if you got hit with that, you're getting a fuck knocked out of you. Uh, again, you got to take it with a grain of salt as to what you're seeing, what region you're watching, that may not go over in California. You know, it may not go over in uh, Maryland. But in in regional wrestling, which we're talking about, that was a big deal, man. The first wrestler to come at pole, the only thing I saw, again, at 15 is great. But at, at 21 or 22, and you're looking, you're like, eh, that pole's only 10 foot tall, and you can skim me up at, you stand on the top rope and probably move up one notch and grab the damn thing yeah all how the boys presented the work to get there to get the glove to use to your advantage, so again, from a fans' perspective, it's one thing, and from the boys' perspective, you're like oh, okay this this is why this means something because we kind of do regional stuff and and those things, so what got over in one area may not get over another brass knuckles may get over somewhere and and a coal miner's glove may get over somewhere else, but anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. so number eight blindfold matches, gimmick matches in general, uh, coal miner's glove matches, whatever. Uh, Let's shift gears a little bit and get into some things on number seven because I know we're going to try to keep this one relatively close to our 45-minute time limit, even though we're probably at about fucking 40 minutes right now. So stay with us, fans, because we're going on to number seven, Shane Mack, being tougher than wrestlers. He's a stuntman, but did he just work his ass off? Did we see Vincent Kitty McMahon there as well with Stone Cold? If so, go back and listen to that episode, but not in great detail. But as owners, were they willing to show the people their toughness, negriness, or whatever, to go out and be number one in the world of entertainment? Or is Shane Mack, Shane McMahon, as legitimate and as tough and better than professional wrestlers? I will let you take over this one.
0: Yeah, so this this is kind of a, a funny one to me a little bit here. Um, Shane McMahon, a company executive. Now, I'm not going to knock him. The guy's done some hard work, but he can go sit in an office for five years and then come out and trade punches with Kevin Owens and whip his ass. Stephanie McMahon can take 10 years off, come out and beat the world champion. It is funny to me that these guys are tougher than these professionals who fight week in and week out. Now, Shane, I imagine, keeps in pretty good shape, probably goes out and roughs people up behind a Pottery Barn or wherever he <laughs> hangs out at. So, you know, maybe he keeps his licks in, but it's just funny to me that middle-aged guys who only fight once every five years are so tough. Because I'm about his age, and I know if I get in a fight these days, I'm going to have to hit somebody from behind with something heavy to get the fuck out of there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking <laughs> i with you man i wouldn't knock the fuck out of someone from behind or something you know i don't want to fucking do that but no i was thinking like uh, what's that sheriff bear they're saying with his fucking kids down at sheriff bear getting a fucking bear stuff and he's going like hey motherfucker you, you cut in front of my daughter or my son or your daughter cut in front of my son or my daughter and I whip your ass, and they go out behind the mall, and he just be someone's ass. Oh, because they got in a fucking argument at the sheriff there. You know, you said a pottery bar or whatever. I, just, I, I, get, I don't know. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying he's not tough because of... He jumped, he jumped, propelled himself, and did that, try to duplicate Mick Foley's big spot off the cage or whatever. But I'm like, that's just a glorified stunt, man, to me. And, to me, and I'm not saying that they, they're not in tremendous shape and they didn't work out and this and that. But, man, you're either one of the boys or you're not. And I think Shane, I think he put his body on the line for the business. Oh, I have, I one with, time he without he a doubt, yeah. Bumps. I'm just saying... Like, you can't do that every five years and still be with a competitive, be competitive with the top stars of the business that day. Doesn't have to be NBA. Look at Michael Jordan. We went back to the fucking Washington, um, wizards you know what i'm saying you, you've been out a couple of years playing baseball you try to come back it ain't happening man you know and that's what a, if if not the greatest one of the greatest basketball players of all time you know that a guy can take five years off it's not the fucking natural with, with robert redford you know you don't come from nowhere and you get on a fucking train and you're fucking knocking a lights with home runs out of fucking stadium. That's movies, folks. That's TV land.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm Shane McMahon, I just looked it up. He's three years older than me, and I'm older than fuck. I'm 45, you know? Um, I do not, I could not even try to get into short fist fights like I would have in my 20s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, I, I think I told you before the story about me and my brother were at the comic convention where I got Sting's autograph. And got to meet him, and we were talking about. I was bitching about the super kick, and my brother said, Well, you know, the super kick is really the clothesline of the current era. You I know, thought clothes- that was
1: great when you sent me that. I thought that was great, by the way.
0: Yeah, and so you know, the clothesline, when used properly, when used the right way, when used like Stan Hansen or Okada use it, it's a killer, you know. And the super kick used to be the same way when it was used by the right guy, like a Chris Adams or a um. Shawn Michaels, mm-hmm. that lights out, baby, you're going down, you know? Right. And we were talking about that, and then um, suddenly the crowd started getting to me, and I, I realized that I wanted to start super kicking people. So it suddenly became very useful to me throwing 800 super kicks in a row. I understood how somebody would do that. <laughs> um, I was saying that because I was trying to picture getting into a fight at uh, at Build-A-Bear. Right. Um, <laughs> <where I, laughs> Where I imagine I would also watch a super kick people, but so Batista took five years off to go to Hollywood, came back, won the Royal Rumble, and the the, the crowd turned into a bunch of vicious, uh, bloodthirsty uh, Vikings who were going to get him because I think they wanted it was a Daniel Bryan is who they were uh, cheering for. Yeah. Only a member of the McMahon family right now can get away with showing up out of nowhere, beating somebody, maybe putting on a world title or not, and then not wrestling again for five years. It's nepotism. It's nepotism at its greatest. Yeah. The McMahon family has for for 20 years, maybe 25, been the dominant villain of their own show with the most consistent week in, week out, we are the bad guy heat all the way through. This one to me, I mean, Bobby, let's just say you and I own a wrestling company, and I come to you one day and say, hey, um, my my 28-year-old son who's a dishwasher, I think I'm going to have him come in next week and beat our world champion. Mm. And then we'll just you know send him home after that.
1: What's your response going to be? My response would be very realistically, fuck you. Exactly. No. Yeah. No, it's not happening. If my youngest son, who, who was a high school wrestler, he knows. He knows how hard assed I am about this, and that's this. If if you want to make it, don't fucking use my name. I'll help train him. I'll help condition them. Treat them like anyone else. There's a there's a couple guys right here I do help, I have helped, etc. But you know what? He has to do it on his own. And what you get is this. Put fucking other people over.
0: So, for me, it's just goofy to have somebody who's not a wrestler show up after five years, ten years, whatever. Stephanie McMahon, I guess, wrestled once in ten years and, of course, won. In the olden days, that would have fallen under the, you protect your talent and you don't let people just show up and beat your champion for nothing. Yeah. Um, That being said, I'm... uh, you know, I, I don't want to shit on the WWE no. too much. they there. Again, um, I wouldn't do the shit that Shane McMahon allows to get done. You know, I wouldn't let people do to me what he allows to get done to him. He's awfully a tougher son of a bitch than I am. Good on him. Just ridiculous to show up with five years in between matches and you know take on their big their big guys and go toe to toe with you know the Undertaker, Kane, yeah. Kevin Owens, guys half your age, stuff like that. Yeah.
1: Let me say yeah. this when I when I saw that. My response was, and still is, good on him. Because, by God, I don't know if I had the balls if I can do that. And I'm I'm a few years older. So I was looking back at that time going, fuck, man, that's crazy, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I, I know how I felt at that age. And it wasn't too damn good. And so you can imagine a few years more added to that going back and watching it when I did watch it alive i was like holy fuck man so my hat's off to him but it's just like you said the nepotism is there and um that's an and a lot of different you know we have that going on uh, in a whole many many fucking different forms of entertainment forms of uh, life and jobs and careers etc oh, yeah. but um i will say this you know for shane uh, again, not taking anything away from conversation, but the thing is, you know, he did fucking have the balls and go out there and do it. So I, yep. I don't know if that's stupid or, or bravery or idiotic or, or a combination of three or whatever. But um, I don't think if, if I had been his age at that time, I don't know that I would have fucking done that. But whatever.
0: Yeah. You know. It just, to me, it falls under Goofy because. Yeah. You know, it just, well,
1: it's goofy. That's all I'm going to say. And about when I it, was yeah. at age, when I look back and I was at age going through what I went through at that age, here's the thing I'd have fucking done it. <laughs> I'd have said one day someone's going to bring us up. I had no idea what a podcast was back then. But I said, someone a, in wrestling, they'll bring us up and say, God damn, that Bobby Blaze, you believe that motherfucker done this? Because at the time, I would have done it for the money, I'd have done it for the glory, I'd have done it for the company. You know what I'm saying? I'd have fucking done it. I don't give a fuck. I wouldn't now, but I would have then.
0: Well, let's keep moving because we are yep. going to run way over this week. Um, it, it's yep. it's a habit we seem to have formed now. Oh man. Well, you know whatever. Hey, we, we, all, we got with it. we have fun and people listen to us. We're we're just two old two old white guys with microphones, and people yeah. care care what we have to say. Sometimes it's a pretty pretty good thing, if you ask me. You know? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So number six of our top ten goofiest gimmicks or spots, and we're going to go with dick spots and other unbelievable spots. Bobby, I'm going to let you start off on this one, because I'm kind of... I don't take the dick spot as any worse as the Invisible Hand Grenade or any other unbelievable shit that I've seen, but um,
1: please please lead us off. Well, with that said, I'm just going to say this. Um, We talked about this before, I'm not going to sit here and shit on any particular person that does it. Uh, the The problem is, is it's the I like to think that when I watch professional wrestling versus other forms of entertainment, for an example, a movie, a football game, or whatever, I want my suspension of belief, you know, to be there. I want mm-hmm. to, but I want to be able to believe in what I'm seeing. And if a person's cock or dick is so big and so hard and so tough that when you grab it, whether you grab it or don't grab it, and your hand is in the vicinity of it, um, and you can thrust your hips and a guy takes a fucking bump, I have a serious problem with that. Now, with that said, I've seen that match a couple of times. If the match is entertaining, I can almost buy into it. What I can't buy into is that you can do that. So yeah. when you put your, thrust your hips, and you put your hand down there, you grab the sucker, or you stick the sucker in the mouth, and you pull, and you thrust, and you the guy takes the bump for you, I will say that there is a, at least a super kick or a knee to the, to the chin or whatever so there is a move before the actual pin. Again, I'm not going to shit on it for the person doing it, but I want to believe it. The match I saw in person involving uh, of course everyone knows I'm talking about Joey Ryan. Um, when I had the porn star there and, and Casey King worked them, it worked out really well. I will say that, but Man, it'd take a lot. It's like I said way back when with the super kick we talked about early on in our podcast. I'm not gonna shoot a young bucks that want to give forty-five fucking super kicks. But here's the thing. Give me one, give me two, pin me, pay me, thank you, fuck you. Get uh, you know, I'm out of here. The same thing with that. I'm not s i am not if if I were on TV and receiving a check, I would like to think that someone across from me, like we someone brought up earlier, Paul. He was one of my agents in WCW said Bobby. Go out there and do this, this, and this, and this. What's going to happen on your debut? From an eight-minute nitro debut to a fucking three-second squash to getting thunder and and uh, people bringing you in and and someone that's been there and done that. When it's when a bottom line is when someone like Rocky King says, "Bobby, did your check come this week?" Yeah, get out there and do it. Don't worry about it. Just shut up, go out there and do it, and you go out there and do your job. So I'm not saying I wouldn't because I understand it's a work, but by the same token. If you say, "Here's what I do," I thrust my hips. You grab my my imaginary dick. You know, when I first get into the business, it was never like that. You either did it or you didn't. And now that I'm older, I'm like the same way. I'm like, I don't want to believe in that bullshit. If we're all gathered in the middle, and someone pulls a fucking pin out of an imaginary grenade, and you fucking back up. And everyone acts like they're exploded. I got news for you. There's a real fucking world out there where people are getting fucking killed by landmines and grenades and fucking war and fucking hurricanes and etc. So, no. I don't buy into that shit, and I think it goes in a category of our top ten goofiest fucking, you know, gimmicks and spots. I think it's the most fucking ridiculous spot professional wrestler. Give me a tackle, drop down, leapfrog, hip toss, or reverse hip toss, the old international spot, and I'll buy it every fucking time. Or give me two tackles, uh, I'll drop down twice, you know, duck two, hip toss, um, drop kick, drop kick, fake toe pay outside the ring. And if you understand wrestling jargon, you understand. I just said I'm going to take two tackles. I'm not selling on the first one. I'll go down on the second one. I'll drop down twice on you. I'm going to throw a punch, duck it. I'm going to throw an elbow, duck it. When you go for the fucking uh, drop kick, I'm taking it. I get up. I'll get the second drop kick. I'm sliding outside the ring. When I'm outside the ring, you're going to fake a tope. I'm ducking. I'm selling a tope. And then when I turn around, there you are. You actually do the tope. So that is a spot, you know. If a guy gets in and he grabs you by the nuts and has a good grip, that fight's over. When you get kicked or hit in a nuts, the low blows in boxing, it there's warnings for that reason. They're, they get hit and it hurts. And you may have a cup on, you may have a fucking protection on, etc. But when someone gets hit there in other sports, like a knee, you know your dick, your balls, whatever, um, it's legit. It hurts as a male. And, you know, you you hit a woman in her pubic bone, uh, on her pussy, it hurts. If you give her a high knee on her fucking pussy bone, the pubic bone there, I'm sure it'll fucking hurt. It's just like a guy get hit in the nuts. But for her or him to take his dick and do a spin, and you do a fucking flip, and you take a pin or whatever, it's goofy. So that's that.
0: My biggest problem with something like that spot, and I can even relate it to others, but I've been watching wrestling a long time. I get that I haven't watched it in the last several years, um, but I could literally tell you I've never seen somebody accidentally grab somebody's dick before Joey Ryan. Right. You know I've seen Macho Man accidentally body slam a big guy and and completely turn the momentum of a match around, but I've never seen anybody grab Macho Man by the dick. Uh, Anytime that suddenly people are doing things that don't normally happen, except in this case my believability goes right out the window. Back when Rey Mysterio first got to the WWE and suddenly the uh, the 619 move mm-hmm. was a thing where he'd go through the ropes and kick him in the head. And all of a sudden all these guys were having the exact same match with Rey Mysterio. Never seen one of them end up in between the ropes with their head stuck out ever. And now every week somebody's doing it that's yeah. shit that it, it, it's just like becoming aware of the director in a movie when you're suddenly trying to figure out what the director was thinking and you realize fuck i'm not even paying attention to the movie that's what those moves do in wrestling uh all the shit in shikara uh chikara pro it's funny but i i can watch rowan and martin's laughing if all i want is a fucking joke yeah
1: just sock it to me baby i know yeah,
0: exactly yeah i know um I want some pathos and some drama. I don't mind comedy bits. Like I said, the uh, the hang, uh, the match with the Hangman and Joey Janela at All In was pretty cool, and they framed yeah. this Joey Ryan thing around it. And to me, they kind of did a meta-commentary on how stupid it is to have death and resurrection angles in wrestling. Which, fuck, I think every year for 20 years, The Undertaker died and was reborn. Yeah. And it was just, you know, for me, it was kind of a play on that. I wouldn't want to see it every week, but in that case, it was funny. Yeah. So that's kind of my my take on dick spots and other unbelievable moments and spots in wrestling.
1: Yeah. Well, I hope I didn't rant too long on that. I just I, no. I, again, I don't like or dislike Joey Ryan. I've met him at a TNA show years ago. We talked off years, so I'll go ahead and say it now mm-hmm. on air. And that was, you know, Shane Storm, one of my friends. I helped years ago, and he's still in the wrestling business. It was like uh, Joey was at the show and it's way before the dick spots, and he was there basically as ha- enhancement talent, honestly. It was a house show, and, and, and we did this and that, and I thought, well, you fucking arrogant prick, go fuck yourself. You know, go fuck yourself and your fucking mother. I don't give a fuck. I was there trying to help a friend of mine out, and a couple other people was there, and the guys that I knew, you know, nothing but respect this and that. I'm not saying joy when I saw Joey Ryan last month or whatever it was six weeks ago, I didn't go up and talk to him because you know what? I just thought, you know, I'm here for one reason. He's here for another. The business has changed. It's passed me by. I understand that. I was there for an appearance. I had no reason to go over to the locker room and talk to him or anyone else. I talked to the people that I was there for. He did the same. I was there for business. If he speaks to me, I'll speak to him. If not, I'm not concerned about it. I'm going to move on because I'm sitting here, I'm doing my job, and my job is to do this, and his job was going to have a match, and he did, and that's that. So I'm not making a dig at him. I'm just saying I would like to think that the wrestling business still has some prestige that people will respect each other, but when you cross that line of you're in front of other people and you're trying to convince them that your dick or whatever spot you do is so strong or so realistic that I still want to believe in it. But I wanna be as a fan one of the ones that doesn't wanna see someone just shaking their dick and making a guy take a fucking flip or whatever. It's just goofy ridiculous. And and I just wanna be one of those people that still believe. When I see the finish, I'm like, Holy fuck, that's a good mash, that's a good finish, etc., I want some believability, and when I see that fucking finish, I want to say, oh, man, that was good. That was good. It got me. You know? That's all. Yeah. I'll get and off my high horse. No, that's no, no, it. no. Yeah. I think that's perfectly
0: fine. Um, you know, this whole wrestling is an art form thing. Yeah, but it, it's also ritualized combat, and that's that's the side I come at it from. Um, you know, I am a pro wrestling fan, not a sports entertainment fan. Right. I think is the easiest way for me to wrap
1: that up. Yeah. And... Yeah. And if you don't understand what he means by that, go back and listen to the last two episodes of The Greatest Regional Heels, listen to part one of that. There's a 20-minute rant on the difference between being a uh, two-word, sports something another, and mm-hmm. being a pro wrestling fan. There's a 20-minute rant. There's YouTube about it. There's a listen to our podcast. About it. That's episode 15, The Greatest Regional Hills from Kobo. Listen to that. Here's Jeremy's perspective on it. Because I thought, my hat's off to you. When that rant, I sit back and listen to it about three times. And I'm like, man, you talk about fucking nailing it. You complimented me as well. But here's the thing I think you really fucking nailed it, man. That it doesn't discourage people from watching WWE. No. But it does distinguish between people. Like yourself and myself, I think I can safely say this, a lot of our fans that still want to believe and enjoy professional wrestling versus watching sports entertainment.
0: Look, me and my little brother have this conversation all the time. He stayed a WWE fan, whatever. I mean, it's like it's, it's not for me. It does nothing for me. And every week, it's like, oh, but you got to try out NXT or, oh, you got to try out this. And I'm like... No, I don't. I don't have to try this shit out. They, they drove everybody else out of the business for a long period of time. Fortunately, now there's some independents and some other companies that are gaining traction. New Japan is fucking hot in the States right now. Yep. I don't got to give them a fucking chance. I'm not going to give them a fucking chance. Every time Vince McMahon is left to his own, and then my brother, oh no, but Triple H is in there now. It doesn't matter. I don't care. But here's the thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't go watch it. You fucking! I'm glad you love it. Go fucking do it. That's great. Let's move on to number five, Bobby. Uh,
1: I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you announce it because I have a different perspective on it than I, what I think you do. Do you want me to say the,
0: the name? Well, no. Here, let me let me do it. I will introduce yeah, spot do, number five. I
1: have a different perspective on what you yeah. did on
0: that. I don't... Bobby, I've got this great idea. Um, let's take a great wrestler. Maybe maybe a Brad Armstrong. And let's put him in a stupid knockoff Spider Man costume and we'll call him Arachna-Man. What do you think about that?
1: Okay, well <laughs> being one of the boys, I think I'm happy to have a job. They're they're making changes or keeping me around. I'll do it. I'll do it. That's what I think.
0: That's fair so, enough. I, I understand wanting to keep your job. Can, can I make a quick side comment that guys like Jerry Lynn and Brad Armstrong don't need to be stuck in stupid mask gimmicks?
1: Oh, I agree. Jerry <laughs> Lynn, Mr. Uh, what JL.
0: Mr. JL. Uh, uh,
1: Brad Brad was one of the most talented fucking wrestlers ever. I have nothing but respect for him and his family. Um, the problem is, is the way I see that particular thing, the Arachnoman, Man, they were actually trying to give Brad a push deserved deservedly so now do I think I think Brad Armstrong could have got over and he did for years as Brad Armstrong so I don't know that it's a goofy it, it is a goofy gimmick because they had to be shut down because I guess uh, the uh, the uh, uh, shit, I could say DC, Mar- but Marvel, Marvel Comics yeah yeah you know, set out the deceased and you know whatever the letters you get and you can't do this it's too close to spider-man etc but I was happy because I didn't do Excuse me. I knew it was Brad, and I knew he was getting that push. Kind of like the Bad Street USA gimmick, you know. The thing is, the guy had a job, and you're making money. And as I heard Road Dog talk on a Howard Stern show many, many years ago, some fan caught in with a smart ass, and they said something about, uh, you know, Road Dog get his big push in WWF at the time, and, you know, your brother. And they started to say something bad about Brad, and he just cut the collar off. This on Hire Stern. And he said, let me tell you something, motherfucker. He goes, my brother has more talent, his little finger, than any of the rest of us in our whole fucking bodies and anything that you could do either. What, what are you in your life, you know? And he, they hung up on a call or et cetera. Brad has so much fucking talent, it's unreal. Why do you have to stick him in that gimmick? You know, why do you have to do that to give him a push? I understand. And it's kind of like the battery. It kept him in a job. And, and having been there myself for three years... There's things that I did that I didn't want to do. There's things I didn't want to do that I did. However, you want to word that. But, you know, the thing is, you're in that job and you got a paycheck. You're doing something you love. You're getting to still be one of the boys. And um, Brad also, I mentioned he done the uh, uh, Bad Street gimmick. Um, I went out several times. Uh, it's, it's no secret now. If it's a secret now, then then I guess the internet's not. Doing what it's supposed to do, and I, I, I guess it exposes every fucking thing. But I did the kendo gimmick in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. There was times I wasn't there, but I still would do a show um, here or there as kendo because it would save Jimmy Cornette money, and I'd be close enough to home that you know I'm an hour away and he could pay me this, and and uh, uh, Tim wouldn't have to do it. And then there times that, you times know, that when Tim left that I ended up doing it. And he gave me some more pay, blah, blah. And it got to the point where I was like, you know, I can't make these far away shots. And then someone else done it. So it's one of those things where you're like, you're just happy to have a fucking job and a paycheck. And same thing with Bad Street. You know, Bobby Fulton had some shows. He had a full body cat uh, outfit that was uh, Bad Street. I'd done the Bad Street USA gimmick as one of the fucking fabulous freebirds that came one years, you know, a couple years later or whatever. So again, it's one of those things that you're just, um, as one of the boys, you're just glad to have a paycheck, I guess, glad to have a job, doing something that you like. Now, as far as talent goes, yeah, I agree. Why? why? You know, But as one of the boys, you're going, yeah, I'm going to do what I have to do because I love this business. Uh, it's kind of like Sharkboy. They came up with him. I, I, I know Dean. I saw Dean a couple months ago. I'm sure I'll see him in, I think, in October. I'm not sure. But uh, uh, Dean does that gimmick. And, and um, when TNA you know, done all their stuff with Sharkboy, Boy. It, he started refereeing for some shows that Les Statues used to send down my way, and uh, the, he started off as a referee and ended up getting training, ended up being a very good talent. He just wrestled uh, here, in, like I said, in this area in the last couple of months, he'll be back in this area. I'm not here to plug in, I'm just saying. It's one of those things where they had, a, I guess, a Disney cartoon that kind of went along those lines of Sharp Boy, and you got to season, whatever that's called to stop and to cease or whatever, you know, got some talented guys that sometimes you have to do that. I don't maybe know you have to do anything, but I'm saying you, you elect to do that because you love professional wrestling. You, you enjoy getting a paycheck. You enjoy being one of the boys knowing that you've got something that they're trying to push. And with Brad, you know, all he was such a talented guy, and he got such a good, everyone says he's underrated, but, you know, back in the day, man, he I, one of the best matches I ever saw in person one time was Brad and Ric Flair for a TV championship that was uh, getting ready to go off the air. It was like a 10-minute time limit. Man, during that 10 minutes, the stuff they'd done, uh, I remember me, Dean Malenko, Chris Jericho, uh Maybe two or three other people, probably Scott, Steve, Armstrong, and maybe someone else. And we're there. It's the last show, 10 days of tapings in Orlando at Universal Studios. And Brad and Ric Flair went out there like there were a thousand fucking people. And that place only held 300 for the Worldwides. And we're there at Sunday at 630 knowing, you know, when this is done, you can catch your flight, or you can wait the next day and catch your flight going home. And, they, and Brad and, and, and Rick just tore the fucking place down like there's a the fucking, like I said, thousands of people they are like it's a fucking pay-per-view because they were professionals. And they walked in. I know for a fact it's me, Dean Malenko, Chris Jericho, Scott, and Steve Armstrong, and we fucking clapped for Brad and Rick Flair when they walked in. There was a couple other people there, too, I'm sure. But uh, it was just unbelievable because I'm a fan, you know, so to see... When you back up many years before that, you're like, oh, we're going get with this great idea, Brad. Yeah, you know that and bad street and whatever else is just. So I'm kind of take the boys' perspective on that. You know what? You do what you have to do for a paycheck. If they, if you're a fucking garbage man, collect the fucking garbage. And I'm friends with my garbage man. I don't mean it as a dig because this guy's super nice, huge wrestling fan. I'm friends with my male person. She's a really nice young lady and i love her to death she's a sweetheart uh, i know several school teachers and 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 he goes back to those you know common theme of why would those people be in professional wrestling you know what i'm saying but brad was that special talent he shouldn't have had to be an man or bad street or whatever else because he was that talented as a professional wrestler but sometimes you just do that because that's what you love doing you know that's that. I get why a wrestler would do it, because it's basically do
0: this or kick bricks, motherfucker. Yeah. But that's the height of Jim Hurd-era kind of shit. That it, it, I'm guessing this was a Jim Hurd thing, man It sounds like something he would do. Yeah, I
1: think uh,
0: right. Yeah. There is something I want to point out. It's a color scheme thing. You know, I'm a superhero fan. I, I have been a big fan of superheroes since my teen years, at the very least. There are two color combinations that you don't use. Purple and green, and purple and fucking yellow. What the hell was the idea behind that? The only people that wear purple and green in comic books are Lex Luthor, the Joker, and the Incredible Hulk. Nobody wears purple and yellow. So, boo for laziness on the Arachnaman color scheme. You could have gotten something much cooler than that.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying... (laughs) I didn't think you were. No, no. I'm just saying... That uh, those the Marvel movies, which are blown to DC movies away, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, or oh, honestly, they are. I don't have to guess. <laughs> nah. Uh, Matter of fact, Her- Hen-
0: Henry Cavill stepped out of Superman today. He's done.
1: I saw something about that, but I yeah. thought he said it was. But uh, so I didn't read the right information. Maybe. Yeah, but, he's out. Uh, Okay. Those movies hadn't hit, and if you're, and, and you got to go to whatever production is, you would think as a TV company. TBS or whoever would at least say, Here, let's use these colors, but also not having the foresight to say, because um, you know, twenty hindsight's twenty twenty, and that's, these these characters, Spider Man movies and Iron Man movies and keep on going forward, are going to be huge in the future at the box office. Let's make it as realistically if you're gonna get sued Get fucking suit, you know? Uh, let's get him as close to as possible as the fucking character. Not use these ad or odd on colors, if you will. Yeah. So, whatever. I don't know, man. It was, just, it
0: was just poorly done, the Iraqi yeah. man. And he yeah. just, guys like JL and Brad Armstrong don't
1: need to be stuck in some goofy ass gimmick. And, and Jerry was another, like you said, Yeah. You know, he was a tremendous talent. But see, there's other things. And I'm not going to talk out of yeah. school. Jerry had a couple issues, and Jerry was let go. Yep, that
0: happens. yeah happen. In that case, Bobby, let's move on to number four, and this is one that I have a serious bone with right now on Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Murder, kidnapping, and jaywalking live on TV, and nobody calls the cops.
1: Yeah, that's one of those things that you can go back, and I don't know, I'm going to let you do a lot of what's taking place, but, you know, when you're sitting there watching a certain product and you're going to mention one, I'll mention one. Years ago in Memphis, you know, uh, Eddie Gilbert hit, you know, Jerry Lawler with a car. People called the TV. They called, you know, they excuse me, the TV, they called the cops. They were shooting an angle for TV. People driving by saw it and called the cops. There was another confrontation at a gas station, and they got out and beat someone up. And someone saw it and they called the cops. Cause that was way back when in Memphis. And they, people believed in it. But then... You jump ahead to, I don't know what year that was, 2005, 2006, whatever. Sure's sure happened, and uh, there's someone getting murdered on TV and a live wrestling match. or someone being crucified. There's someone being kidnapped. There's there's a car bomb. All those different things, but no one fucking calls a cop. And then you're bringing up, you know, the championship rush from Hollywood, which you've turned me on to. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, now people have been... Uh, what you said, uh, well, first go back to the fucking invisible grenade. Someone had a fucking live grenade in a building with wrestling fans. You know? Yeah. We, uh, and it exploded apparently and everyone sold for it except for the fans. Well, the fans did sell for it in a roundabout way. But anyway, tell me what's going on with this. Uh, number four, well, murder, kidnapping on live TV and no one fucking calls a cops. Tell me, Jeremy.
0: Well, so we talk about suspension of disbelief. This is not one of those areas, guys. We want to believe that the wrestlers are real doing real things. Um... Yeah. Right now on championship wrestling from Hollywood, or the last couple weeks anyhow, this guy, uh, Robert Baines is his name, has come back and he had originally wrestled as the hobo and, uh, Eric Watts, not, not Cowboy Bill, some, but Watts comes, big black guy, Bay Afro comes out in a Darth Vader looking gear. A year or two back, he himself challenged for the, uh, the tag team titles on that show. One man defeating two. One of them was a boxcar Willie or hobo something or, but anyways, he comes back as Robert Baines and now he's a badass Bane-like Batman villainish who comes out snorting, you know, huffing gases yeah. and whipping people's ass. He kidnaps Watts's mentor slash manager. Uh, I can't think of guys, Ty something, right? I can't think of his name. Takes him back to the Baines compound where he's releasing video vignettes and Eric Watts has to go get him. I'm like, call the fucking fbi <laughs> kidnapping is a federal goddamn crime you know you this can move a that... person
1: 15 feet away from one car out to your car you can move one room to the other to the out porch and that's kidnapping folks that's an unlawful uh, unlawful detainer i mean there's a
0: whole lot of crimes that come from that yeah and and the, the fbi can get involved depending on how far they're moved i mean it's it's a big big deal so, you know, the Undertaker, how many times he's been he's been murdered on screen? Uh, how many times was Paul Bear kidnapped and left <laughs> in a freezer to die? Uh, you know, it was one thing when I was a kid and I'd ask my dad like, "Hey, how come none of these guys have like black eyes?" <laughs> Cuz they punch the shit out of each other. Yeah. But but when they start blowing people up or, you know, leaving them in freezers, I'm like Ca- call call the cops. And how- <laughs> And how many times, like, do you watch it and you're like, that, what just happened was a full-on sexual assault in that ring right there. Yeah. And nobody called anybody to report this. At the very least, human resources should have been contacted.
1: <laughs> you're, so. kill, you're killing me. Uh, I want my two cents is it and it's really completely off of this, and that's... When I started seeing guys not getting red marks or black eyes or busted nose or lips having been in real fights, I'm like, wait a minute here. You know, so I am a big advocate of forearms. I like seeing the European uppercuts and forearms across the chest and chops and things because when someone hits you in the face, I don't care if it's, you know, your little... Two-year-old son, or your three-year-old granddaughter, or whoever is playing with you, and they reach up, they tag in the eye or the nose or the mouth, and something happens. Your reaction, and at least, you at very least, you have a red mark, and uh, I hate the punches that's what boxing for ufc has it etc pro wrestling and wrestling in general when you're wrestling you have no punches so i'm a big advocate of not not that i learned to punch really very good i learned receive very good on punches because i had people to work with in that in that regard i still teach i want to teach and tell people do the forms do the uppercuts you know those type things do the chops, etc., but limit your punches. With that said, I know that kind of goes off of the kidnapping type thing and, and, and the murders on TV and cars being blown up, etc. Uh, you know, I have not been following that storyline. You was talking about the championship wrestling from Hollywood, uh, you know, kind of thing. But it's kind of like, like you said, man, if you're sitting at home right now and you got to go back to, go back to when you were a young fan. There's a young fan right now that probably watches that every. Whatever date comes on Saturday, whatever, um, they're going to their dad. Why don't they just call the FBI? Why do not he go mm-hmm. to the internet fucking so do a seek and, you know, let's let's find this guy. There's ways you can find him. You know, if you've seen it on TV, you can find him. So yeah, that's 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 pretty bizarre, man. I want to be, we want to be, and want you to be suspended. You want we want our belief suspended during at least that match. And i tell you something I do hate, and it came up in the 90s, and it's continued on, obviously, through whatever you watched the last two or three weeks ago of your show, and that is, I hate the little vignettes because, because you have to have TV to support them. Yes. Without that, and you're an independent show, and you're out there running shows, can't really do the vignettes to lead up to, without television, match. And that's one thing about maybe the all-ins, and I know there's social media out there where you can do Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can do Vimo, whatever you want to do. You can put some things out there, but it's not like having a mainstream TV behind you. The vignettes, you have to have television behind you to support that, and i try to tell people as a consultant, you don't have TV. You're not fucking Monday Night Raw. Don't go out there and talk for the first 20 minutes of your fucking show. You advertise professional wrestling? Five minutes in, give them a fucking match. A lot of people do that. Some people don't, and they talk for 20 or 30 minutes thinking, oh, yeah, I'm on TV. You don't have TV to support it or follow it around. When the TV's sent out and you follow that tape around, that's different. So that kind of goes back to with your Hollywood you know, wrestling there. Unless they have that tape going out there, going around and around and around, then that's when they'll get the fans coming to the arenas going, oh, now I know why I'm following this angle." Those vignettes don't work unless you have the television behind it. Well, yeah, and I was going to say,
0: you know, right now, Twitch, which is a format I'm not real familiar with, but apparently some indie shows are using Twitch to reach out and find an audience. See, something yeah. like that, you can do long-form narration, storytelling.
1: Yeah. And I've heard, I've heard, I'm trying to step on this, I'm an old man, but I've heard... Oh, fuck. I'm trying to think of who I heard it from. So when I follow pre-regular and they said, hey, this Twitch thing's coming, man. Get on Mm -hmm. it. Get on it. And I haven't yet. I'd like to for this podcast and for my own social media purposes, those type things. But I heard this Twitch is going to be big. I can't stop. And I know I heard someone nationally, okay, probably internationally, but but someone like, I won't say Joe Rogan, but, uh, you know, someone on that level talking about putting over Twitch. So if that's going to be the new the new YouTube or the new social media outlet television that you can follow these vignettes and you're a fan of, let's just use, what you say, championship wrestling from Hollywood, yeah. right? Yeah. Using that as an example, if they have that following and they do those vignettes and that Twitch is that popular or is becoming up that way, then guess what? You're going to be interested in being a part of that audience. You're going to be a part of their TVs you're going to be a part of their house shows, and that's the way to build it, and maybe it is the future, because this is fucking, you know, 2018. It's not the fucking 19th century. It's 21st fucking century, Jack. You know, and it's uh, that fucking internet, and the way things are changed, uh, it's not your, you know, you're picking up your NBC, CBS, and ABC, and maybe, you know, your fucking local uh, uh, KET, or your public access TV, or whatever it may be. There are so many fucking outlets out there. If this thing's coming, me and you, Jeremy, we need to get on for our social media. Follow Jeremy on Twitter at the Geeky Cast. Follow me on Twitter at BobbyBlaze744. Follow our fucking door account. At Bell Blaze. At Bell Bell Blaze. You know, follow our podcast there on Twitter. Follow us on YouTube. Follow us, whatever. I don't care. Maybe this is something we need to look into because if that happens, it's going to change a whole lot of shit. Because people are watching the Twitch, and then they say, oh, here is how these vignettes played out. And then they will go to the show that follows that video around. Does that make sense? Or they're talking in a circle, or they across the street trying to fucking get around the world, or get around the world crossing the street? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think you make per- perfect sense. Yeah, there's all of us, especially us older people, need to suddenly become aware of microcasting rather than broadcasting. These these avenues are going to exist where you can reach small groups of your fans, no matter where they are, instead of having to have your product. And I'm talking about it specifically for wrestling. Yes. Instead of having having to have your product on some fucking backwater channel buried at the, what, at the bottom of what we used to call the UHF
1: band. There you go. Yes. Good comparison. Yeah. Great. Yes.
0: You're, you're going to be able to be on the phones, computers, laptops, Tablets, uh, Google Glasses, whatever the next up and coming devices are, and you can you'll be able to get video to your fans live right away. And there's already a million ways to do it. There's YouTube Live, there's Facebook Live, there's Vine's, there's all these things. There, yeah. There's there's a lot of shit out there that still needs to be experimented with. Look, pro wrestling was there at the birth of radio. Pro wrestling was there at the birth of television. Pro wrestling was there at the birth of cable. Pro-wrestling was there at the birth of the Internet. Pro-wrestling is on the verge. I've been saying this for three weeks now, four weeks now. Pro-wrestling is going to come roaring back to fucking life right now because there are ways for small companies who couldn't get the word out before to do it, and and Vince McMahon, if you ever listen to anything I say, the days of you being able to run a show across the street from some local promoter and stomp his ass in the ground—they're fucking over, man. Your stranglehold is fucking done. Ooh, sorry, everybody. No, I, I just um. Oh, jeez. Uh,
1: that's no. That's great because yeah. <laughs> it's happening. That's the thing. When you brought up channels there, that was a little bit off the dial the radios, the TVs, etc., the internet, uh, what's that song, you know, Video Killed the Radio Star or something mm-hmm. back in the 80s, when MTV was really like, you know, we want my MTV, it was like about music. We're in a time, whether it be through Twitch or Facebook Live or there's live on Twitter or Periscope, uh, whatever it may be, There's a, there's a time now. When you can reach your fans, and we're going to look into this more for our own personal use, Jeremy, yeah, in the future, absolutely. I'm sure. Individually and as, you know, the Bells Bell Blaze podcast. And that's the thing. I know at least a couple of years ago, I have a friend of mine, a young female wrestler, and her her fiancé, He's she manages and they wrestle and they've traveled around. They've been to, they actually, the one mania that was in Dallas, they ran, like, uh, Rokishi, I think, ran a show the night before or day of one of the manias, and uh, drew really good. And when you go to those shows, when you pay, it's not necessarily all access for for WWE, but with, like, what was it, New Orleans this past year? There's so many things like the WrestleCon and things that evolve around the WWE. Um, they have other individual shows, and they was on one of these, and they put it out there, and they're tweeting and Facebook and whatever. So my point is, like you said, when you stomped on them, You said they're stomping them. Okay, so here's the thing. With these other outlets of social media, uh, reaching people, not necessarily on the USA Network or TBS or whatever the fuck you're reaching them on, you're reaching them other ways, and fans of that product are going to go and see Jeremy Villamort versus Bobby Blaze as the main event at the local flea market across the street because we have built up a crowd or a fan base or whatever uh, when WWE may be running a show that evening. I'm not saying we're outdrawing them. We're just two old fucks talking. I'm Mm -hmm. just saying that what Jeremy said is true. The days of that, when you look at the ratings, they're not drawing huge, huge fucking ratings. We're not saying... They're not drawing huge, huge fucking crowds out their arenas. If you do it right and if you listen, if anyone's listening and you're a promoter or a wrestler, we have a lot of stuff to tell you. Use social media and you can draw some pretty damn good houses for people that like the product you produce, providing it's a good, quote, pro wrestling product because people still want to go see and have that, When I say believe, they want that suspension of belief. They want to believe in pro wrestling still. And if you provide that service, they will come. If you build it, they will come. Right? Wayne's World. Same concept. I want to sit there. and I want to enjoy and watch. And guess who won? And I want to have that experience. And there's a lot of fucking people out there like that. That's why this... Podcast. The bell to bell with Bobby Blaze exists because we want to believe in pro wrestling. And that, that's it, man. What is it? Championship Wrestling Hollywood? Get on the Twitch. Get on, you know, it's coming, man. There's other outlets out there. That's all. That's all. Sorry, yeah. Jeremy. I spoke no, money. No no, 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 no,
0: You know what, guys? This is going to be a long episode, and that's yep. all there is to it. um yep. You know, that's, yeah, uh, somebody asked for a 90-minute episode, we're, well, you're going to get it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's, yeah. Well, let's keep moving here because yep. we do got to finish this list at some point. I got dogs to feed eventually. Um, yeah. One I, of them is as big as a what? horse, you know?
1: I, yeah, oh, well, speak about a horse. Never mind. Oh yeah. <laughs> my fucking thunder there.
0: <sighs>
1: okay. All right. <laughs> Number, Number three. <laughs> three.
0: Fake Diesel and Razor Ramon.
1: I remember that happening. I knew the one guy's face, I won't let you fill in his name, but I knew the fake diesel was Glenn Jacobs because Jen, Glenn Jacobs, I had his pictures in my hand. He had been out Malenko's, he'd been sent there by Lawler and that group up in Memphis. He had been to WWF at the time. He was carried out, he was one of the guys that carried the king out to the ring, uh, one of King of the Rings, or at least when Jerry Lawler was doing that gimmick, et cetera and he actually, Glenn is such a great guy, congratulations, shout out for becoming the mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee, Knoxville County. He was the fake diesel, and again, it goes back to what I said earlier on, you do what the company asks you to do. You know, you're looking for a paycheck, you're there, you sign a contract, you want to make money or whatever. Jeremy looked up the uh, fake razor, but but the thing is, it goes back to fence-owning the trademarks of the names Diesel and Razor Ramon. And he could put whoever he wants in those positions. And he did with Glenn and, what'd you say, Bill? Rick, with, it's Rick Bogner uh,
0: out Paul, of Calgary. And,
1: yeah, everyone knew pretty much when um, Hall and Nash went down to uh, WCW and they become the outsiders and they become the NWO, blah, blah, blah. We talked about another episode. We'll talk about it in the future. What a change! That made in the Monday Night Wars that everyone thought, you know, what the fuck's going on when, you know, they showed up and how they showed up and it the heyday uh, I don't say heyday, but how uh, you hey, hey, say modern day. What did you call it? I think the golden age of professional I call
0: it race. I call it the modern golden age of professional. Modern wrestling.
1: golden age, yes. You have before and that's great because it goes from the attitude era with that WWE and WW uh, W C W rather when they came in and took over. And we had the Monday Night Wars and it changed everything. It was great. But with that said, I'm going to shut up and let Jeremy finish up with, because I do know Glenn Jacobs, great guy, congratulations uh, on your political career. I hope that things go great for you. It goes back to when that debuted, we, everyone knew, okay, Diesel and Razor, Razor rather, Nash and Hall had left and went to Atlanta or went to you know, WCW or whatever. But he owned the rights to those characters and they debuted. Go
0: ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no problem. This comes back to the trademark thing like you like you started with there. Yeah. What they basically tried to do is just recast. Just, you know, we own these characters, we can stick somebody in there. Of course this blew up in their face, but I'm yeah. sure yeah. I'm sure there's a way this could well, it, it did work with um one of the masters, uh, Sin Sankara. Yeah. They they cast a guy, they brought him in, he didn't work out, they put somebody else in the same suit and just swapped him. Yeah. This is the danger in a company owning your character, that they literally have the light, the rights to your name and likeness that you build for them. Keep in mind that they own the rights to names and stuff of people they consider to be independent contractors and not employees. Put that one in your hat for a minute and let that roll around. Okay? They don't even consider these people employees, but they can own their likeness and their names yeah how's that for a shit uh shit ball so the the fake uh diesel and razor thing it did not go over well i don't know if it was jim ross's idea or whoever it was i did not look far enough into it to see that it was just one of those things where i was like the unmitigated balls of trying that move first off i'll give them i'll give them points just for having the balls to try it
1: mm-hmm I don't,
0: I don't know that anything like that had been done before. You're just like, ah, screw it. We're just going to fake this.
1: Yeah. Oh, and, I don't know. Uh, Good point. I don't
0: know. Yeah. And it didn't work out this time, but like I said, they did try it again with Senkara, and it did. Um, I think this is the goofiest thing or one of the, the top goofiest things that I can think of because it really does just show the fans that, hey, whatever we say goes.
1: <laughs> there yeah. you have it. You know, like it or lump it, baby. Here you have it. That one there, for sure, blew up in her face. That was like, no one's buying it. We know that's not Diesel and Razor Ramon. You know, even though you may own the name, titles, or rights to, or whatever, everyone just, it blew up in her face. And it was a shits, because everyone, you know, knew. So, uh, that, that there was pretty fucking goofy. It was a goofy fucking idea, goofy fucking gimmick. You know, the original Diesel... The original Razor Ramon got over huge, and they both ended up doing good business in another territory, mm-hmm. and they're still over today, I guess. They do a lot of these, you know, Hall uh, uh, and Ash and Sean. Uh, shout out Sean there, if you are listening, Sean. That's X-Pac, if you don't know. But I'm just saying, he was the one I was closest to because he trained at Malenko's and I did. I'm just saying, those guys, everyone knew that when that fake Diesel, and I, God damn, I hate using that word. Use I use the F word. I couldn't even. Uh, thankfully, she's dead. But I couldn't even kiss my mother with that fucking mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I use the F word all the time, not that one. But when that Diesel and Razor Ramon come out, everyone knew, and it it did blow up in her face, so to say. So that one goes
0: there. I, yeah. I feel totally comfortable having that in the top three. So yeah. let's move on to the, yep. to number two, and just to prove that we don't just shit on WWE around here even
1: accidentally. <laughs> Yeah, because of the couple, three, that was uh, either AWA, NWA, there was two or three. Yeah, yeah. So we're not trying to fuck with you, WWE. Vince, if you are listening, I don't know about Jeremy, but I'll prick my finger. I'll sign my fucking contract in blood. Send me a fucking paycheck. (laughs) What do you want me doing? Well, you got a job for us, Jeremy. Can you get us in WWE? I don't know. I'll prick my finger and sign it in blood with you because I will.
0: Oh, yeah, I will. Look, I've (laughs) done all sorts of stupid things things for money, Yeah. yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. You <laughs> all right your money yes yeah so, all, all, not, all, how about this segue if not because vince probably isn't listening don't who jeremy is doesn't know who i am why don't you go buy pin me pay me by bobby Blaze? why don't you go buy i kicked out on two the educational wrestler while we're thinking about it why don't you donate to the fucking GoFundMe fund me that jeremy die that called out to set up for Jeremy to help offset our cost of the hosting fees. Jeremy, plug those tiny URLs. I know you didn't expect that from me, but God damn it, we got to get it in during this segment, so we better get it in now. And that's this. Buy my fucking books. Download them. If you don't download them, that's fine. It's better if you buy them off Amazon using the tiny URLs Jeremy's about to give you. So he gets some kickback as well. And if not, please, if you're new to the program, listen, like, share, learn, love, subscribe, tweet, whatever the fuck you got to do, and donate to the GoFundMe to help offset our cost of the hosting fees. Yeah,
0: so the tiny URL, tinyurl.com slash blazebook1 will get you to pin me, pay me, tinyurl.com dot com slash blaze 2 we'll get you the eye kicked out on 2 the education of a wrestler right there on Amazon uh, it is an affiliate link so Bobby gets a, a share for selling a book and I get a tiny percentage for sending you that direction we do appreciate it when you buy from us if you like Bobby's wrestling stories this is a great place to get more of them Bobby that being said we got two more spots to hit and then we got to get yep. out of
1: town man yeah we do man yeah uh, okay with that said number 2 Shockmaster. Shockmaster, holy cow! Shockmaster.
0: You can't have a list of worse or goofiest in pro wrestling without talking about the Shockmaster.
1: Yep, and Fred, um, if you do listen, or it does go back to Fred. Tell Fred I said, hey, thanks for following me on Twitter. Thanks for following me on Instagram. I love Fred, good dude. And he was an old Malenko guy. He was there before myself, and you could talk about his gimmicks. Other, excuse me, other than Shockmaster, but Shockmaster. You know, you make that debut on national fucking, probably international TV, I guess, at that point. Look what fucking happened. We got this great idea for you. He had been in WWE as someone else, WWF, whatever. And Jeremy, just take over. Otherwise, I'll well, too long.
0: <laughs> there, there's a whole lot of badness involved here. His mask was a Stormtrooper mask that had been glittered. They put him in a big shag Frank uh, rug Frankenstein's Monster vest. And then Ole decided he was going to sit behind the curtain, all Wizard of Oz style, and, and do the guy's lines. And then when they framed the wall he was supposed to explode through, they left a two-by-four right mm-hmm. at ankle height or mid-shin height. So that way yep. he just went down. And if you ever watch this clip, you can actually hear British Bulldog saying, He fell right on his bloody arse, didn't he? <laughs> Here's the thing, Fred. Like you're saying, you know, you got to do your job. It's live. You got to roll. Fred, Fred grabs the mask off the ground, puts it on, and just tries to keep going right through it. And there is no recovering this bit. There is just no way to save it. No.
1: And if I'm in that situation, I do the same thing. I grab it, try to gather my shit together, and just try to keep on going forward because you know you done fucked up. But, 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 by no admission of your own, you have, because you probably could not see down. And then whoever left the two-by-four there is probably responsible they didn't cut that part out of the frame. Mm. But, but man, you just take it a bump and <laughs> on your debut. How embarrassing. But Fred's recovered. Old tugboat, you know, he's recovered. He's doing quite well. And, and I always liked him before, during, and, and after the fact, the Shockmaster. But, my goodness, I can't imagine. Uh, he jokes about it now. I guess he sells gimmicks at his gimmick table when he does he appears the appearance at Comic-Cons, etc. Whether it be Tugboat and um, uh, Typhoon, I think. And then also, as Shockmaster, depending on who you want. But, uh, you know, he has the mask there, etc. Um, man, that's hard to recover from. Psychology, I'm thinking, holy oh, fuck, yeah. man. I just fucked up big time. But, well, you know yeah. what's, what's interesting?
0: And you brought him up, your buddy X-Pac, Sean Waltman. Yeah. I saw him on an interview or some bit one time talking about this. There was a way to recover this, and his idea, Sean, Sean Waltman's idea, was the bad guy should have jumped on him and started stomping the shit out of him. Oh, that's he, good, yeah. Yeah, then nobody would have looked weak in it. It would have looked like he hit the ground for whatever reason, but it wouldn't have just been like all the heels standing around looking at each other like, what's this then, you know? Yeah. It would have actually been recoverable in some form. It would have been a schmaltz. But it yeah. would have recovered. Yeah, We're recovered.
1: I understand. Yeah, you know what? That that makes sense. It could have at least recovered. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. And I and there, you know, that was the only time I've ever heard anybody have a. Re- I, I'm sure somebody, I'm sure somebody put this idea out at some point or whatever. The first yeah. person I've heard it from was Sean Waltman. Okay. And it was it was actually a good idea because at first you hear that and you're like, eh. but then you think about it for a second, and you're like, yeah, that would have done it. Yeah. That would have yeah. done it. Yeah.
1: It would have. So, and, yeah. And, but who was thinking? Who was doing what the office told him to do? You know, who was like, uh, I'm going to take it on my own responsibility to take care of this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and we also case don't case know. Soul. You don't well, know, we
0: also don't know what is Oli's thing. Like, if you went off script with Oli, uh,
1: does,
0: does he beat you with a belt out back when yeah. you're done?
1: Yeah. You're yeah, fired, it... you're fired, or fucked. Yeah. Mean, I, don't, I don't know. You're right. So, yeah, yeah. I see. I see that. Man, I'm sitting here thinking, what the fuck, we talked off air, I don't know what the fuck could top that embarrassing moment, an embarrassing part of professional wrestling, when you're talking about the goofiest fucking gimmicks, gimmicks or spots in professional wrestling, I'm just sitting here going like, man, I know we're kind of tight on time, I know you'll do your best, and I appreciate you taking the time to edit this and, and getting it down to our time limit. People that wanted to 90 minutes are probably going to get to 90 minutes, if not just a few minutes more today. I don't know what top Shockmaster, man, so well, I'm going to sit here so, and just listen to what you have to say. So, Bobby, there's
0: um here in California and down in Texas, there's a very famous wrestling family called the Guerreros. You, maybe you've heard of some of them.
1: Uh Yes, sir, I have very yeah. much. Yes.
0: And yes. Uh, you, you know what it's a I think? Very
1: respectable would... family.
0: Yeah, what I think would be a great idea is let's take one of them and let's dress him up like a giant turkey and put him on a pay-per-view. How does that sound to you?
1: I'm thinking, no, because it's the girl family. No, I don't see it because I'm thinking, you know, eventually I met Eddie and Chavo Jr. I, I, I actually one time, believe it or not, in my 15th match, me and Buddy Landell wrestled Lasertron. And Jim, handsome Jimmy Valiant, boogie-woogie Jimmy Valiant, but there was a guy named Lasertron in Pikeville, Kentucky, for a show. A guy didn't show up. Buddy Landell pointed at me and said, send this kid out here with me. I wasn't smart enough to the business, and there was some guy named Lasertron in the ring with me. And the match got over good, got with Buddy Landell, uh, boogie-woogie, which was formerly handsome Jimmy Valiant. And it just got him Lasertron, and I just done what I was told. And I was like, oh, fuck. That's when I really caught on. Oh, this is the work. This is the business. And that's when I took off Malenko's because no one had smarted me up at that point. But there was some guy in a mask, in a costume called Lasertron. And he backed me up into a corner, and I'm like selling, selling, like I knew that much. Get the fuck away from this guy. What's he going to do to me? I thought he was going to knock the shit out of me. No idea who he is. And he starts spinning his arm around going, zzz, and he pushes and touches me on his stomach, and he pokes me, and I fucking... And the place pops. I have no idea who it is. Do you know who it might be that eventually become one of these... That was a Guerrero, I assume, that I'm talking about that could have... What are you talking about? What the fuck are you even talking about? Because I well, don't I, know.
0: As heel authority figure, I have to override what you're saying. We're going to dress uh, We're gonna dress him up as a turkey, and we're going to call him the gobbledygooker, and we're going to make a big deal out of it for months months before we do the pay-per-view <laughs> and the crowd's the crowd's gonna go nuts bobby you'll see that you are wrong when the crowd goes nuts over my wrestling giant turkey
1: okay let's see what the fuck happens what the fuck are you even talking about man i don't and, even know i'm here going like what the fuck was that i watched <laughs> that and i'm like what the fuck who the fuck was that what the fuck just happened Tell me, fill us in, Jeremy. And the crowd went, "What?" So yeah, (laughs) way before the what, the crowd went, "What?"
0: (laughs) I I gotta say, it is impressive that that anybody could do those flips and spins in that turkey costume, going in and out of the ring. But where did where did this idea come from? If not like peyote or acid (laughs) or some other mind bending thing. How does this even... How does this even happen? Is there nobody, like, high enough up and creative to go, you know what's a terrible idea is dressing a guy up like a giant turkey.
1: Well, I guess let's backtrack. Sure. Not just dressing any guy up, but someone from a famous family up that was already over as himself and as Lasertron to go ahead and do this gimmick and debuting a pay-per-view, like you said, build him up for, what, two, three, four weeks, whatever. At that time, probably four weeks when he built the pay-per-views up. You know, you're talking about a fucking tremendously talented individual, Hector Guerrero, right?
0: Yeah, oh, it was Hector. I kept thinking it was Manny for some reason. You're right, it was Hector. Hector
1: fucking Guerrero. Yeah. And I was in Pipeville, Kentucky, and I knew enough to keep my mouth shut. I knew enough to, to listen, and that was about it done what I was supposed to do as I was leaving and they're selling pictures because Buddy Landell and Hector Guerrero, I remember Buddy talking in the locker room about driving around Knoxville with some little Mexican. This is back in 1988, so it's not some dig Mexicans. It's December of 88 and um, I'm tagging with Buddy. And he's like, oh, yeah, just listen to the Mexican, listen to Valiant. You'll do what you know. And he drove up from Knoxville with Hector. Valiant had come in from Virginia. Someone else didn't show up. Radio DJ was the promoter of the show, and he used to do some really good shows. He ran NWA shows up in Pikeville, Kentucky. I wish he'd done good business there of Smoky Mountain and with Buddy Landell, you know, heel versus face then. This is the first time I met him, had been a fan, knew his train by the Malencos, but I wasn't that Malencos yet. I'm, I'm still not smart. And, I, and I, at the time, I was built real good. I had a bleach blonde hair, but he said, put that kid right there with me. Because someone else did not show up, I can't think who it was, and if I could think of it, I'd tell you. But I'm drawing a fucking complete blank. But anyway, see, my gone. first,
0: my first instinct would have been Buddy Landell didn't show up.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, uh, no <laughs> Buddy. Eventually, as I got to know Buddy, you would be corrected that assumption. <laughs> that is, that's very good insight. No, Buddy showed up, and Buddy and I were in the hill locker rooms, and I and I was probably the second best body compared to Buddy's. Uh, as Buddy said way back then, I spent $100 a fucking week on my hair. So I probably had the second best hair in the locker room at that time, you know. But I went out and worked under a mask and done this and done that. But I was sitting there, and, and Buddy said, put that kid right there with me. We'll go out there. And Buddy had actually went out earlier in the show because another girl didn't show up. And he started running his mouth about broads and this and that. She rolled him up for a one, two, three. So we actually got pinned earlier in the show because it was back in the NWA, just got it promoted to shows, and he still went out the main event and brought a fucking no town like myself at the time with him to wrestle uh, Lasertron, which was Hector Guerrero, which was our number one, the 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 Gobble D Gooker or whatever you fucking called him on a pay per view a few years later, just four years later. Cause I'm talking 1988, and I think that happened in like not what 1992 maybe. And if I'm not mistaken, someone else debuted on that show after you had Hector Guerrero, one of the most famous fucking family from the most, one of the most famous fucking wrestling family of our time, the Guerreros, whether they be in LA, uh, El Paso, Mexico, uh, Japan, or all over the US, you know, you got the you got the Gorilla family. Hector's out there doing this giant turkey, flips, flops, whatever, for three or four weeks, and they debut on a fucking pay-per-view. Goofiest fucking ever gimmick or spot, obviously that's a gimmick, in professional wrestling. And uh, I'm not going to disagree with you, but just close this out here, if you will, if you want to. Am I not correct in saying that out of that pay-per-view, that something good did come out of that other than the goofiness of Hector Bing, that giant fucking turkey, and I maybe probably am saying this wrong. The gobbler, gobbly d fucking gookler. What did, what did, what is the fuck? Tell us, Jeremy. Finish
0: this. Go, it's the gobbledygooker, and I believe you are referring to Haku replacing Rick Rude on the show because Rick Rude had left for WCW. Mm-hmm. Or 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 it could be the debut of the Undertaker. It's one.
1: Thank you. Yes. I was in Tampa, Florida, watching it, and there was a guy named Bruce. He wrestled as the Undertaker. He was on his way back to Rhode Island thinking that he may be the Undertaker because they had contacted several people, from my understanding, for that spot. Of course, they already had that spot aside and picked out, and we were all anticipating the person that had been training at Malenko's as being the undertaker. And we watched the pay per view. Sean Walkman, myself and, and Larry Drake and several other guys, Rico, Fred etc., etcetera, were all wrestling school at the time. But we saw the the uh, how do you what was what was it again the the number one gobble gobble de how do you say it? I don't gobble 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 gobbledygooker. Gobble, gooker, whatever. And That's he, close step, enough. Like whatever. And but one of the greatest things that happened out of that is the fucking Undertaker. I guess with every fucking little thing that happens that's goofy, and you call it a goofy gimmick or a goofy spot, and it makes our number one on this week's top ten professional wrestling's goofiest fucking gimmicks and spots of all time. This is the goofiest gimmick of all time. But me being one of boys with Saving Grace... Hector probably done it for a fucking paycheck for that three or four weeks of uh, segments and at least a pay-per-view and getting a paycheck. And then out of that came one of the greatest characters in professional wrestling of all time, The Undertaker. And mm-hmm. I'm going to shut up and you finish this up.
0: All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our top ten goofiest gimmicks, response, and pro wrestling. You know, again, go check out Bobby's books on Amazon. You get to them easily by using our tiny URL, tinyurl.com, blazebook1, and tinyurl, ah, I'm sorry, tinyurl.com slash blazebook2. I think we have uh, certainly tried to stretch this episode as long as we possibly could. So, Bobby, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure as always.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yep. And for Bobby Blaze and myself, heel authority figure, Jeremy Vilmer, bye-bye, everybody.